Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Kashras, presented by the Kashras Awareness Project in conjunction with Torah Anytime. Today, I am honored to be joined by Rabbi Moshe Kaufman of the KVH in New England. Thank you, Rabbi Kaufman. It's wonderful to have you here. Wonderful now, to be here. KVH is in New England. That's the Boston Correct. territory, right? We're the big city in New England. So. Okay. So it's good to have you here, here at the Let's Talk Kasha Studios all the way from Boston. And I'm very excited to talk today about uh, summer camps. The summer is approaching. Many of our viewers are going to be sending their children to sleepaway camp. So let's start with the camp kitchen. If I'm a parent and I'm sending my child to sleepaway camp, what should I know beforehand? What should I be doing? Are there, is there anyone I should be reaching out to? And at the end of the day, do, uh, is someone really going to be able to make an impact as a parent from afar on the cautious of their children's camps? So again, like I said, wonderful to be here. The top, the, you, you pose several questions, we'll break it down. When you talk about a camp kitchen, we're talking about huge operations. Sometimes they're serving a thousand people a day, some of the camps. Sure. Possible more, there were camps that I visited that were serving a thousand people or more a day. Other ones are serving 500, 600 people, and this is day after day after oh, day. We're talking about breakfast, lunch, supper, And snacks, then special snacks, events. You talk special about events, Malava Malkin, barbecues. and whatnot at the end. Sure. Some of these are operated by caterers who cater all year round. Mm -hmm. Would you get a cater for your child's bar mitzvah, bas mitzvah, vart, or whatnot? Assuming it's a firm guy, what could be wrong? He's got a firm kitchen, what could be wrong? And yet, at camps, would we do that? Would we treat the camp the same way we would treat a caterer for our child's bar mitzvah? You got to make a bar mitzvah. You got to send your kid to camp. I ask someone, what's the difference? Um, and the truth is, I put this, I, I put this question out to the public. I, I was, I'm guilty of this myself. And I thought to myself, yet last year as a cautious professional, I think, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if when I was tapped to, we'll talk more about this uh, camp initiative further up, but I asked a question on a cautious professional's WhatsApp chat. I said, does anyone look into what camp was my first, was my first year sending a child to camp? Mm -hmm. And it was like, it hit me. I send my, sending my child to camp. I know nothing about the cautious. And this is what I do day in, day out. So to fault people who don't do it day in, day out, and they're doing it, it just becomes by habit, things we do. Mm -hmm. You ask what they should ask, we'll, we'll circle back to that, and said, can it make a difference? Like anything. People ask me all the time. This is in the world of consumers, consumerism at large. I tell people, write in. They have questions or comments, write us. Email us, call us. People, ah, it's not going to make a difference. Companies have formulas. And even if it's a Hamish or problem, they don't have a formula, but they know it in the back of their mind. They have formulas. For every person who asks a question or, or complains about a specific item, there's 100 people who don't. And they have formulas for this, mm -hmm. professional companies. They have analytics for this. So the question is, can you make a difference? Of course. Yourself, no. But when everyone starts, when consumers start demanding something, that's when things change. That's when things make a difference. For good, for bad, in between, in general, that's how, that's how consumerism works. That's supply and demand. So can you make a difference? Yes. Consumers have to demand what they want. If people don't want proper cash, I would never accuse anyone of that. But the same way, if you don't care about a specific item, you don't care about anything, you're not going to complain about it. When you want something, if someone wants something, they feel I'm not going to make a difference, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Hands down. Ask any company in the world. They want to hear from you? Of course they want to hear from you. Can I get XYZ product kosher? That's how you get it kosher. So what can people ask? I mean, think of what you would ask if you were looking into a product being kosher. I'm sure you'll have questions for me. But in general, 
is there a cautious planner? You don't expect people who are not cautious professionals. We go in there with our checklist. And I'll say this. People will, will ask, well, of course, you know what to ask. One of the important things that uh, when, I, when I visit any facility, whether it's a camp or put a camp aside because we haven't done that much, I go to a, a factory, a new caterer, anything like that restaurant, we have checklists of questions we ask and say, what do you mean? You do this all the time. What do you need it for? Those checklists are super important because you will inevitably forget things. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. You go in somewhere, you think you're going to wing it, you're just going to do it. You go in without the checklist, without that list of things that you need to check off. And you, as soon as you're leaving, you get on the road to leave and you're like, I forgot to check into that thing. Mm -hmm. And then at least a phone call. Getting that done initially is key. So us having our professional list, of, us having our questions to ask is very important. One basic thing a parent can ask, is there a plan of action for kashras? Simple as that. Don't expect anything fancy. If a camp has hashgach, I was going to ask, you know, we did, we did an episode with uh, Rabbi Nossin Dubin about yeshiva kitchens. Typically, yeshiva kitchens do not have a full-time mashkiach, sometimes not even a part-time mashkiach. Assuming that the main chef is a from Yid, usually they'll be relying on him for ordering, intake, oversight, uh, locking the kitchens and uh, refrigerators, freezers, and so on. And I would assume, and I would love to hear from you, I would assume that the situation in camps is very similar in terms of setup to yeshivas, even though yeshiva kitchen is not around the clock, whereas uh, a camp kitchen is more of that sort. Um, what is the typical setup? You're saying a plan of action. Do camp kitchens normally have ashkocha? Do they have a mashgiach? Is there someone appointed to oversee the kashas? So that really varies from camp to camp. Um, What's the best scenario that you've seen? Let's, let's best scenario the positive. that I've seen. We're talking kitchens that were locked down and during the week was key card access only. It means you needed a swipe card to get in the kitchen. Wow. This was this was pretty hardcore because I know a lot of regular catering facilities and supermarket kitchens. They're not like that. This place to get into the kitchen building, so to speak, key card access. On Shabbos, there was a punch key. There was a manual punch key access, uh, code key access to get in. Uh, one of my caterers, uh, we at one point we supervised a kosher kitchen at a hotel. Um, I remember when we were when the kashras were being upgraded and they were in the process of repainting all the pans. It was all flasher kitchen. They wanted it to just be distinguished from the non-kosher kitchen, a different floor. And everything got painted really red and whatnot. And like the, 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 and so the chef walked in there and he said, it looked like a bloodbath. So this is, he was shocked. And I was like, when I walk in the kitchen, we see a flasher kitchen, we see a bloodbath, we're very happy. Uh -huh. We're extremely happy. Meaning that things are identified Means, clearly. Things are identified clearly. And that's one of the things that needs constant maintenance. You'll never find it perfect, not in any conscious scenario. Pretty good you'll find when it's maintained properly. You'll never find it perfect because by nature, um, this thing needs maintenance. I mean, so we, so yeah. on, one side, on one side, you have the cart key access uh, situation, which sounds like they really had the kitchen on lockdown. But I'm talking about as far as the hands-on kosher supervision. It's yeah. very nice that they have it locked. They're making sure that people yeah. aren't going in and out inappropriately. Um, and it's not a free-for-all. But, but as far as the oversight of the kosher, what do you see? So you mentioned like distinguishing the two things. I'm actually going to segue from one to the next because I believe that those two go hand-in-hand. Hand. When you run a clean-cut, we call food service operation, when you run a tight kitchen and you have kosher in mind, you mm -hmm. run a tight kosher operation. So in this place, there was a designated mashgiach. I think he was the kitchen building manager. No, no issues with that. There was a plan in mm -hmm. place. He knew what he was checking for. It was supplemented, I believe, with some campers, working campers, teen campers, 
who were supplemental mashkichim working in the kitchen from chef really knew the kashas business. Everything was marked appropriately. They had a plan for Bishal Yisrael to prevent Bishal Akam. Again, there were certain minor touch-ups that we, you know, you point out to someone, oh, there's a grill outside. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not as controlled scenario. That's not a controlled environment like the kitchen is. These are good points to point out to people that even in the best scenarios, there, there can be, there's room for improvement. But I, I think what but, you're saying is a very important point. I want to point out, we're gonna, I'm sure there are people who are watching this, camp owners, administrators, I hope. head counselors. I'm sure they are. And some of them may be thinking to myself, well, you want me to add to my budget a full-time mashkir? And the answer, if I'm understanding you correctly, is no. You just need a plan of action. Someone who's already on staff should be sat down and spoken to as the point man for cautious in this camp so am i am i am i heading I can, in the right direction i can design a plan of kashras for pretty much any camp assuming they're on board with the physical aspects of what they need again we came across places that want to use one kitchen for milk and flasics and cover this and double wrap this again those those are things you should not be doing on a mass scale like that because it's going to lead to problems mm-hmm. um just had a call recently about double wrapping food in moss to be certain like yeah someone's going to tempt the food someone's going to open it it doesn't Not work. A good it, idea. it works when you're in your private hotel room and you're in control. When you have 10 employees, 30 employees, that, that kind of operation stops working. Mm-hmm. So assuming you have the proper physical space set up, setting up a proper cautious plan should not be costing a penny. Mm-hmm. Obviously supplies, you need a paint. You're going to buy spray paint. You're going to buy maybe change up some equipment, whatnot, minor, minor stuff. But the actual plan of cautious, as far as manpower goes, should not cost you any money. Now, I have to ask you, I asked you what the best scenario you saw was. What was the nightmarish scenario that you saw? Meaning that something that, that, that was unsustainable and something that you said, you know, something really has to change. That's multifaceted questions. So you have sometimes the ball was just dropping. There were certain basics. Possibly, again, I don't want to give away what we saw where and whatnot. This was all very confidential. But there could be a Hilch Shabbos thing like, what went through someone's mind when they made the decision to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it was an oversight. You can go to a camp and they, everything was pretty good, and then you found out some waiter, counselor had a key to go in and get fried in that chant. And like, do you have issues of did, did someone know? Hazara, like, did, did someone know about this? It, it, that, that could be an oversight. And sometimes it's just a basic thing that someone overlooked, a very basic thing, or a swap over between milk inflations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And again. Some camps are very receptive, so they made immediate tukunim for such things. Right. They fixed these problems initially. I'll give you an example that I, w- I remember hearing in a camp. Again, innocent mistake, just because people didn't know. They ordered grills for camp, you know, poolside barbecues. No one even thought of tiveling the grates. Right. It, was right, it was a very, very basic thing. It came in a box. Someone put together the grills. Shalma Yisrael, no one ever paid it. Just, just got lost in the shuffle. Is that, a, is that a good example? It's a very good example, and I'm glad you brought that up. And if someone came with Tvilas Kalim, and there were great Paiskim, and one of my Rabbi Minkashas, Rabbi Avram Jorvel, works for OU in Muncie, I can, I'm very close with him. He's a Talmud Minkashas from Dain Posen. And the Dain Posen, Helmut Iker, I think caterers do not eat a table Kalim. I hope I'm quoting this correctly because I'm on camera now, but this has been reiterated, reiterated to me over and over and over again. A lot of people don't hold to that. Someone comes and tells me, and some people hold of it, but see if selling part, selling it, having a geisha shutif and whatnot, whatever it is. Someone comes and tells me this is part of our plan of action. I, I have no issue with that. I'm not certifying you as a hashgacha. Mm-hmm. You were, it was thought through. This was a decision made with the camp Plaiskin. There's no problem with that. Whether everything's possible. So, so you brought up Tefillah's Kalim. There's one example I'd point out. 
that, yeah, someone made an oversight. But if someone came and said it was thought through, and this is the plan, this is why we're doing it, it needs thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. That's what it needs. It needs and, then you're, and then you're obviously trusting the halachic direction decision of the camp, which hopefully is being made in uh, consultation with the camp's Marda Asra. Hopefully they have one, right? Um, and things like that. But that's why a camp needs a Rav. They need a Mardarech to direct issues of halacha and hashkafa, right? Or whatever the issue may be. So any final words so before we wrap Final words, up? it's really, and you can continue on with this, but just final words, I know we, we, we didn't even finish in terms of what can parents ask, not ask. I would say one of the things that came to me is that if you ask for what, if there's a kosher plan in place, and the answer is, of course, we have a from chef, or everyone's the mashgich because the kitchen's a free-for-all, those are things you don't want to hear. What you're doing is, yeah. what you're doing is wonderful, and, it helps and, that I enjoy it. So. And, and I could tell that you have that passion for what you're doing, which is, uh, which is why you may, one of the things that makes you good at what you do. So, Rabbi Kaplan, thank you for being here, for discussing this important topic, and we hope to uh, discuss it again. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you.